0: Chapter Six of the Slayer of Souls. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Slayer of Souls by Robert W. Chambers. Chapter Six. Cleves went back into the apartment. He noticed that Miss Norne's door was ajar to get to his own room he had to pass that way and he saw her seated before the mirror partly undressed her dark lustrous hair being combed out and twisted up for the night whether this carelessness was born of innocence or of indifference mattered little he suddenly realized that these conditions wouldn't do and his first feeling was of anger if you'll put on your robe and slippers he said in an unpleasant voice i'd like to talk to you for a few moments She turned her head on its charming neck, and looked around and up at him over one naked shoulder. "'Shall I come into your room?' she inquired. "'No. When you've got some clothes on, call me.' "'I'm quite ready now,' she said calmly, and drew the Chinese slippers over her bare feet, and passed a silken loop over the silver bell-buttons on her right shoulder. Then, undisturbed, she continued to twist up her hair, following his movements in the mirror with unconcerned blue eyes. He entered and seated himself, the impatient expression still creasing his forehead and altering his rather agreeable features. "'Miss Norn,' he said, "'you're absolutely convinced that these people mean to do you harm. Isn't that true?' "'Of course,' she said simply." Then, until we get them, you're running a serious risk. In fact, you live in hourly peril. That is your belief, isn't it? She put the last peg into her thick, curly hair, lowered her arms, turned, dropped one knee over the other, and let her candid gaze rest on him in silence. What I mean to explain, he said coldly, is that as long as I induced you to go into this affair, I'm responsible for you if i let you out of my sight here in new york and if anything happens to you i'll be as guilty as the dirty beast who takes your life what is your opinion it's up to me to stand by you now isn't it i had rather be near you for a while she said timidly certainly but miss norn our living here together in my apartment or living together anywhere else is never going to be understood by other people you know that don't you After a silence, still looking at him out of clear, unembarrassed eyes. "'I know, but I don't want to die.' "'I told you,' he said sharply, "'they'll have to kill me first, so that's all right. "'But how about what I am doing to your reputation?' "'I understand. "'I suppose you do. You're very young. "'Once out of this blooming mess you'll have all your life before you. "'But if I kill your reputation for you while saving your body from death,' You'll find no happiness in living. Do you realize that? Yes. Well, then, have you any solution for this problem that confronts you? No. Haven't you any idea to suggest? I don't. I don't want to die, she repeated in an unsteady voice. He bit his lip, and after a moment's scowling silence under the merciless scrutiny of her eyes. Then you had better marry me, he said. It was some time before she spoke. For a second or two, he sustained the searching quality of her gaze, but it became unendurable. Presently, she said, I don't ask it of you. I can shoulder my own burdens. And he remembered what he had just said to Recklow. You've shouldered more than your share, he blurted out. You're deliberately risking death to serve your country. I enlisted you the least i can do is to say my affections are not engaged so naturally the idea of marrying anybody never entered my head then you do not care for anybody else her candour amazed and disconcerted him no he looked at her curiously do you care for anybody in that way a light blush tinted her face she said gravely if we really are going to marry each other "'I had better tell you that I did care for Prince Sanang.' "'What?' he cried astounded. "'It seems incredible, doesn't it? "'And yet it's quite true. "'I fought him. "'I fought myself. "'I stood guard over my mind and senses there in the temple. "'I knew what he was, and I detested him, "'and I mocked him there in the temple, "'and I loved him.' "'Sanang!' he repeated not only amazed, but also oddly incensed at the naive confession. "'Yes, Sanang. "'If we are to marry, I thought I ought to tell you. "'Don't you think so?' "'Certainly,' he replied, in an absent-minded way, his mind still grasping at the thing, and then looking up. "'Do you still care for this fellow?' She shook her head. "'Are you perfectly sure, Miss Norn?' as sure as that i am alive when i awake from a nightmare my hatred for sanang is very bitter she added frankly and yet somehow it is not my wish to see him harmed you still care for him a little oh no but can't you understand that it is not in me to wish harm no girl feels that way once having cared To become indifferent to a familiar thing is perhaps natural, but to desire to harm it is not in my character. "'You have plenty of character,' he said, staring at her. "'You don't think so, do you?' "'Why not?' "'Because of what I said to you on the roof-garden that night. It was shameful, wasn't it?' "'You behaved like many a thoroughbred,' he returned bluntly you were scared bewildered ready to bolt to any shelter offered it's quite true that i didn't know what to do to keep alive and that was all that interested me to keep on living having lost my soul and being afraid to die and find myself in hell with erlich he said isn't that absurd notion out of your head yet i don't know i can't suddenly believe myself safe after all those years "'It's not easy to root out what was planted in childhood "'and what grew to be part of one "'during the tender and formative period. "'You can't understand, Mr. Cleves. "'You can't ever feel or visualize "'what became my daily life in a region "'which was half paradise and half hell.' "'She bent her head and took her face between her fingers "'and sat so brooding. "'After a little while... "'Well,' he said there's only one way to manage this affair if you are willing miss norn she merely lifted her eyes i think he said there's only that one way out of it but you understand he turned pink it will be quite all right your liberty privacy i shan't bother you annoy she merely looked at him after this bolshevistic flurry is settled in a year or two or three then you can very easily get your freedom and you'll have all life before you he rose and a jolly good friend in me a good comrade miss norn and that means you can count on me when you go into business or whatever you decide to do she also had risen standing slim and calm in her exquisite chinese robe the sleeves of which covered her fingertips. are you going to marry me she asked if you'll let me yes I will it's so generous and considerate of you i don't ask it i I really don't but i do and i never dreamed of such a thing he forced a smile nor i it's rather a crazy thing to do but i know of no saner alternative so we'd better get our license tomorrow and that settles it he turned to go and on her threshold his feet caught in something on the floor and he stumbled trying to free his feet from a roll of soft white cloth lying there on the carpet and when he picked it up it unrolled and a knife fell out of the folds of cloth and struck his foot still perplexed not comprehending he stooped to recover the knife then straightening up he found himself looking into the colorless face of tressa norn what's all this he asked this sheet and knife here on the floor outside your door she answered with difficulty they have sent you your shroud i think are not those things yours were they not already here in your baggage he demanded incredulously then realizing that they had not been there on the door sill when he entered her room a few moments since a rough chill passed over him the icy caress of fear "'Where did that thing come from?' he said hoarsely. "'How could it get here, when my door is locked and bolted, unless there's somebody hidden here?' Hot anger suddenly flooded him, and he drew his pistol and sprang into the passageway. "'What the devil is all this?' he repeated furiously, flinging open his bedroom door and switching on the light. He searched his room in a rage, went on and searched the dining-room, smoking-room, and kitchen, and every clothes press and closet, always aware of Tressa's presence, close behind him. And when there remained no tiniest nook or cranny in the place unsearched, he stood in the center of the carpet, glaring at the locked and bolted door. He heard her say under her breath, This is going to be a sleepless night, and a dangerous one. And turning to stare at her, saw no fear in her face, only excitement. He still held, clutched in his left hand, the sheet and the knife. Now he thrust these towards her. "'What's this damned foolery, anyway?' he demanded harshly. She took the knife with a slight shudder. "'There is something engraved on the silver hilt,' she said. He bent over her shoulder. "Egure." She added calmly, not Arabic. The Mongols had no written characters of their own. She bent closer, studying the inscription. After a moment, still studying the Agur characters, she rested her left hand on his shoulder, an impulsive, unstudied movement that might have meant either confidence or protection. "'Look,' she said, "'it's not addressed to you after all, but to a symbol.' A series of numbers, fifty-three, six, twenty-six. That is my designation in the Federal Service, he said sharply. Oh, she nodded slowly. Then this is what is written in the mongol Yezidi dialect, traced out in Agur characters. Two, fifty-three, six, twenty-six by one of the eight assassins the slayer of souls sends this shroud and this knife from mount alamat such a blade shall divide your heart this sheet is for your corpse after a grim silence he flung the soft white cloth on the floor there's no use my pretending i'm not surprised and worried he said i don't know how that cloth got here do you It was sent how she shook her head and gave him a grave confused look there are ways you could not understand this is going to be a sleepless night for us you can go to bed tressa i'll sit up and read and keep an eye on that door i can't let you remain alone here i'm afraid to do that he gave a laugh not quite pleasant as he suddenly comprehended that the girl now considered their roles to be reversed are you planning to sit up in order to protect me he asked grimly amused do you mind why you blessed little thing i can take care of myself how funny of you when i'm trying to plan how best to look out for you but her face remained pale and concerned and she rested her left hand more firmly on his shoulder i wish to remain awake with you she said because i myself don't fully understand this she looked at the knife in her palm then down at the shroud it is going to be a strange night for us she sighed let us sit together here on the lounge where i can face that bolted door and if you are willing I am going to turn out the lights. She suddenly bent forward and switched them off. Because I must keep my mind on guard. Why do you do that? he asked. You can't see the door now. Let me help you in my own way, she whispered. I i am very deeply disturbed and very, very angry. I do not understand this new menace. Yezidee that I am, I do not understand what kind of danger threatens you through your loyalty to me." She drew him forward, and he opened his mouth to remonstrate, to laugh, but as he turned, his foot touched the shroud, and an uncontrollable shiver passed over him. They went close together across the dim room to the lounge and seated themselves. Enough light from Madison Avenue made the objects in the room barely discernible. Sounds from the street below became rarer as the hours wore away. The iron jar of trams, the rattle of vehicles, the harsh warning of taxicabs broke the stillness at longer and longer intervals. Until, save only for that immense and ceaseless vibration of the monstrous Iron City under the foggy stars, scarcely a sound stirred the silence the half-hour had struck long ago on the bell of the little clock and now the clear bell sounded three times cleves stirred on the lounge beside tressa again and again he had thought that she was asleep for her head had fallen back against the cushions and she lay very still but always when he leaned nearer to peer down at her he saw her eyes open and fixed intently upon the bolted door his pistol which still rested on his knee was pointed across the room toward the door once he reminded her in a whisper that she was unarmed and that it might be as well for her to go and get her pistol but she murmured that she was sufficiently equipped and in spite of himself he shivered as he glanced down at her frail and empty hands it was some time between three and half-past he judged when a sudden movement of the girl brought him upright on his seat quivering with excitement mr cleves yes the sorcerers where outside the door oh my god she murmured they are after my mind again "'Their fingers are groping to seize my brain and get possession of it.' "'What?' he stammered, horrified. "'Here, in the dark,' she whispered, "'and I feel their fingers caressing me, searching, "'moving stealthily to surprise and grasp my thoughts. "'I know what they are doing. "'I am resisting. "'I am fighting. "'Fighting.' "'She sat bolt upright with clenched hands at her breast.' her face palely aglow in the dimness, as though illumined by some vivid inward light, or, as he thought, from the azure blaze in her wide-open eyes. "'Is is this what you call, what you believe to be magic?' he asked unsteadily. "'Is there some hostile psychic influence threatening you?' "'Yes. I'm resisting. I'm fighting. Fighting. "'They shall not trap me.' "'They shall not harm you. "'I know how to defend myself. "'And you. "'And you.' "'Suddenly she flung her left arm around his neck, "'and the delicate clenched hand brushed his cheek. "'They shall not have you,' she breathed. "'I am fighting. "'I am holding my own. "'There are eight of them, eight assassins. "'My mind is in battle with theirs, fiercely in battle. "'I hold my own. "'I am armed and waiting.' With a convulsive movement, she drew his head closer to her shoulder. Eight of them,' she whispered, trying to entrap and seize my brain. "'But my thoughts are free. My mind is defending you. You, here in my arms.' After a breathless silence. "'Look out,' she whispered with terrible energy. "'They are after your mind at last. Fix your thoughts on me. Keep your mind clear of their net.' Don't let their ghostly fingers touch it. Look at me. She drew him closer. Look at me. Believe in me. I can resist. I can defend you. Does your head feel confused? Yes, numb. Don't sleep. Don't close your eyes. Keep them open and look at me. I can scarcely see you. You must see me. My eyes are heavy he said drowsily. I can't see you, Tressa. Wake. Look at me. Keep your mind clear. Oh, I beg you. I beg you. They're after our minds and souls, I tell you. Oh, believe in me, she beseeched him in an agonized whisper. Can't you believe in me for a moment as if you loved me? His heavy lids lifted and he tried to look at her. Can you see me? Can you? He muttered something in a confused voice. "'Victor!' at the sound of his own name, he opened his eyes again and tried to straighten up, but his pistol fell to the carpet. "'Victor!' she gasped. "'Clear your mind in the name of God. "'I cannot. "'I tell you hell is opening beyond that door, outside your bolted door there. "'Can't you believe me? "'Can't you hear me?' what will hold you if the love of god cannot she burst out i'd crucify myself for you if you'd look at me if you'd only fight hard enough to believe in me as though you loved me his eyes unclosed but he sank back against her shoulder victor she cried in a terrible voice there was no answer if the love of god could only hold you for a moment more she stammered with her mouth against his ear Just for a moment. Victor, can't you hear me? Yes, very far away. Fight for me. Try to care for me. Don't let Sanang have me. He shuddered in her arms, reached out, resting heavily on her shoulder, staggered to his feet, and stood swaying like a drunken man. No, by God, he said thickly. Sanang shall not touch you. The girl was on her feet now, holding him upright with an arm around his shoulders. They can't, can't harm us together, she stammered. Hark, listen, can you hear? Oh, can you hear? Give me my pistol, he tried to say, but his tongue seemed twisted. No, by God, Sanang shall not touch you. She stooped lithely and recovered the weapon. Hush, she said close to his burning face. Listen, our minds are safe. I can hear somebody's soul bidding its body farewell. White-lipped, she burst out laughing, kicked the shroud out of the way, thrust the pistol into his right hand, went forward, forcing him along beside her, and drew the bolts from the door. Suddenly he spoke distinctly. Is there anything outside that door on the landing? Yes, I don't know what. Are you ready? She laid her hand on the lock and knob. He nodded at the same instant she jerked open the door and a hunchback who had been picking at the lock fell headlong into the room his pistol exploding on the carpet in a streak of fire it was a horrible struggle to secure the powerful misshapen creature for he clawed and squealed and bounced about on the floor striking blindly with ape-like arms but at last cleves held him down throttled and twitching and tressa ripped strips from the shroud to truss up the writhing thing and then cleves switched on the light why why you rat he exclaimed in hysterical relief at seeing a living man whom he recognized there at his feet what are you doing here the hunchback's red eyes blazed up at him from the floor who who is he faltered the girl He's a German tailor named Albert Feek, one of the Chicago Bolsheviki, the most dangerous sort we harbor, one of their vile leaders who preaches that might is right and tells his disciples to go ahead and take what they want." He looked down at the malignant cripple. "'You're wanted for the I.W.W. bomb murder, Albert. Did you know it?' The hunchback licked his bloody lips. And then he kicked himself to a sitting position squatted there like a toad and looked steadily at tressa norn out of small red-rimmed eyes blood dripped on his beard his huge hairy fists tied and crossed behind his back made odd spasmodic movements cleves went to the telephone presently tressa heard his voice calm and distinct as usual we've caught albert feek he's here in my rooms "'I'd like to have you come over, Recklow.' "'Oh, yes, he kicked and scuffled and scratched like a cat. "'What?' "'No, I hadn't heard that he'd been in China.' "'Who?' "'Albert Feek. "'You say he was one of the Germans who escaped from Shantung four years ago? "'You think he's a Yezidee? "'You mean one of the eight assassins?' "'The hunchback, staring at Tressa out of red-rimmed eyes, "'suddenly snarled and lurched his misshapen body at her.' he screamed ain't i tell everybody in Yan already it is safer if we cut your throat devil slut of erlik snow leopardess cat of the yezidees who's made of sanang a fool it is i who have said always always that you know too damn much kai i hear my soul bidding me farewell give me my shroud Cleves came back from the telephone, and with the toll of his left foot, he lifted the shroud and kicked it across the hunchback's knees. "'So you were one of the Huns who instigated the massacre in Yan,' he said curiously. At that, Tressa turned very white, and a cry escaped her. But the hunchback's features were all twisted into ferocious laughter, and he beat on the carpet with the heels of his great splay feet. Ya, yeah, ya! Yeah, he shrieked. In yan, it was good hunting. English and Yankee men and women's we have dropped into those deep wells down. By God in himmel, how they scream up out of those deep wells in yan! He began to cackle and shriek in his frenzy. Ach, God, ya! Yeah. It is not you either, you there, kyuki Mongol, who shall escape from the el eljibil. It is that old man of the mountain who shall tell your soul it is time to say farewell. Ya, ja, ya, ja. ach God! It is my only regret that I shall not see the world when it is all afire. Ya, ja, ya, ja. all on fire like hell. But you shall see it, slut leopard of the snows. You shall see it, and you shall burn. Kai, Kai my soul it is bidding my body farewell kai may erlich curse you kyuki mongol heavenly azure sorceress of the temple he spat at her and rolled over in his shroud the girl looking down on him closed her eyes for a moment and cleeve saw her bloodless lips move and bent nearer listening and he heard her whispering to herself preserve us all o god from the wrath of Satan, who was stoned. End of chapter 6